ministry. And man, before we get into the scripture, let's look at, at where his life has led to this point. We know that he was born of a virgin. He spent, you know, his, his youth growing up under Joseph and, and Mary. We know that he was started to be about his father's business about 12 years old. We don't know what all he did, but we know there was at least one instance where he was in the temple teaching and, and talking with judges and, and, and doctors and, and these things really going into doing what the Lord wants him to. And then we really don't see much of his life until he gets to about the age of 30. Okay, don't know a lot that he does, but he gets about the age of 30, and he starts doing some miracles. We know he turns the water to wine. That's one of his first things. But but here we, we see that when first he, he left Galilee, and he came to the Jordan River, and he was looking for John the Baptizer, as he was known, his, his cousin there, to be baptized. He had this baptism. We understand it was in that in this moment that we see each aspect of the Holy Trinity there. We see Jesus being baptized, the voice of God speaking from heaven, God the Father, saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And it says the Holy Spirit appeared in the form of a dove at this time. So all three aspects are, are present there. Um, and we see this happen. So he goes and gets baptized. And next, we talked about this several months ago, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. Right, tempted by Satan for, for, for weeks, for 40 days there. And when he overcomes the temptation and returns from the wilderness for the Holy Spirit, it says Jesus entered the synagogues of Nazareth and began to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And that's where Mark talked a little bit about that today in the Sunday school lesson is when he opened up the book, read from the scroll of Isaiah, ultimately really basically saying, I am this one that the prophets talked about. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the one that, that you've been looking for. Um, opened up the scroll there in the, in the synagogue, closed it, and basically continued on through his ministry. Goes to Capernaum to begin his teaching ministry, where he really begins to, uh, you know, fill the, the role of the messianic figure uh, of a, you know, of a rabbi of teaching and all these things. And that's where we pick up here. It's about this time in the scripture that we are going to read today that that this story takes place. And after all these things that Jesus did. After all this stuff comes to place and everything's happened, he's he's already done some miracles, he's already done some great things, he goes in the wilderness, does all that, comes out, he proclaims basically he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and he comes here to start his, his teaching ministry, and here's what he does next. His next course of action was to go and find people to follow him. And still 2,000 years later, he continues to look for people to follow him. And that's why we're going to talk about following, follow today. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 23, is going to read like this. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So that's Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18 through 23. We're going to hit on a couple other scriptures as we go throughout the sermon, but we'll read those and have them up on the screen for you. But ultimately, let's start here, okay? From the other scriptures, we know that Christ was calling these men. He eventually calls eight others to be his first group of disciples. We also call them apostles, but disciples is a general phrase that we give to them that ultimately extends to anybody that's a Christian, that proclaims to be a Christian, we should be, be disciples, but the Greek word for disciple, disciple, and I'm not going to pronounce this probably right, but this is Matthias. Okay, 
So take that if you will. It's probably pronounced another way. But Matthias. Okay. Matthias basically means a learner or a pupil. A follower of someone who adheres to the teaching of a leader and is promoting the cause of the leader. So a learner or a pupil and ultimately somebody that's really latched on to a certain leader that takes their teaching seriously and not only listens but also begins to promote it themselves. Okay? So that's what they mean. The word that they used in the original Greek text and everything was Matthias and that's what it broke down to. Okay, so that's what the early church, when they were reading the scripture, when they were reading these letters and things like that in the Gospels, this is what they would have conveyed. As disciples, that's, that's what we're supposed to be, right? We, we claim that we're Christians. We oftentimes use, we throw around the, the term disciple. We talk about discipling our children. We talk about discipling our family. You know, I, as, as the minister, as the pastor, I think and, and pray that I disciple you all uh, to, to be disciples of Christ in these things. But as disciples, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be students and learners of Christ. To learn of Him. To know who He is more. And to be His, his followers. There's an author, a, a Christian author, Dallas Willard. He, he defined following Jesus as being an apprentice of Jesus. He says, as Jesus' disciples, I am His apprentice in kingdom living. I'm learning from Him how to lead my life in the kingdom of the heavens, as he would lead my life if he were me, if he were I. I've got a friend back in Oklahoma. I call him Catfish, and I didn't even know what his real name was until he got married because they didn't use Catfish in the, you know, the uh, marriage vows and stuff. But Catfish, still call him that. Love the dude. Um, and he lives in Oklahoma now. Several years ago, he took on a pr- an apprenticeship through the local union, like electrician's union, IBEW, I think is what they call it. Um, and he starts this program, I think about five years ago now, and he goes through this. He would spend four days working on the, you know, whatever side it was, and then he'd spend the one day a week usually, or at least a couple hours of a day, in the classroom, going through certain materials and certain codes and stuff like that. And he went through this program for five years, going and, and sitting under master electricians and, and journeyman electricians, learning this trade. And learning more and more. Getting a little of the book, but getting a lot of the hands-on experience and learning. And it was just an apprenticeship. And apprenticeships used to be a thing that was used quite often. Back uh, especially in the middle of ages, and before that, if you wanted to be a blacksmith, you didn't go to school, you took an apprenticeship with another blacksmith. If you wanted to be a teacher, you took an apprenticeship under a teacher. If you wanted to, to be a lot of different things, if you wanted to help with healing and medicinal stuff, you would oftentimes sit with somebody in the community that, that did those things and learn from them, and then after a certain amount of time, you would then have mastered those roles. So this author, he, he describes a relationship of following Jesus as an apprenticeship. And that's how we should view it. That we should view it as, as Christ is the master. He's the journeyman of how we should live a life for the kingdom, for Christ, for God. And that we should look at his example and look at the life that he lived. And that we should follow in those footsteps as an apprentice to learn how to be a follower of Christ. To learn how to live a life that is pleasing in God. To learn how to do these things to follow in his footsteps. We need to understand that where salvation is immediate and eternal, our discipleship or apprenticeship or following Jesus must be continual parts of our life that we work on. 
Our salvation is instantaneous once we repent of our sins and ask Christ to enter into our lives. But our apprenticeship, our growing and following Him is something that we continue to do for the rest of our lives. You know, I've said it in, in different instances that we aren't instantaneously the people that we need to be exactly as soon as we get saved and get up off the altar. That we need to follow in Christ's footsteps. And if we are to do that, we have to order our lives around three primary purposes. Three main things that we should be applying and seeking to do in our life if we want to be disciples and followers of Christ. Those are being with Jesus, becoming like Christ, and doing what Jesus did. Okay? So if you write, those, if you write stuff down, or maybe you have a great memory or whatever, just for a second, just hold on to it. We want to be with Christ. We want to be like Christ. And we want to do what Jesus did. Okay? We're going to talk about those two things. But just for a moment, sit there and kind of just, you know, marinate in it for a second. Think of those three things. And think about how well you currently do them. How effectively do you spend time with Christ? How effectively do you act like Christ? How consistently do you do the things that Jesus did? So marinate on that. Think on that. And let's talk about the first one. Okay? So being with Jesus. Mark 3.14 reads like this. And I love this. I find Jesus' decision here very insightful into what he desires for and from us. Okay, so Mark 3.14 reads like this. It says, Then he appointed twelve. We know we, a scripture we read earlier was where he took, called four of them. And here you see he's, he, you know, he's called the other eight. So he appointed twelve that they might what? That they might save the world? That they might perform great healings? That they might have be filled with the Holy Spirit and do all these things? That they might, you know, pastor a massive church? That they might do all... That they might be with him. When he lists the reasons of why he chose the twelve, of why he called these, why these twelve were called by the Savior, why they were marked, the first thing, that they might be with him. And we might think and look at the ministry of the disciples and the ministry of Jesus, and think that the greatest thing the disciples might have done was when they established the early church. Maybe we look at, you know, how how John went down and ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch, and ultimately through that that interaction, um, the Ethiopian eunuch goes and ministers to all of all of Africa. Maybe we look at how Peter and certain ones got to speak with other leaders of the time and do great things. And we look at those. The Bible says that it came to a point where Peter's shadow would just graze over people if they do good. We think of those things like, man. That's why Jesus called those twelve. But ultimately what we see in the scriptures, he called them, appointed the twelve, that they might be with him. And ultimately those things that they, the disciples did later on were part of Christ's plan. But it started with him desiring them to be in his presence. He understood that to follow somebody, really it's hard to follow them if you're not 
with them. If you're not in their presence, if you're not around them, if you can't talk to them, if you can't get to know them, if you can't get to learn them and their attributes and their characteristics and who they are and how they deal with certain things in life and, and to see that person in the good and the bad and not just what they present to you on a, in, a, in a nice place or in a controlled environment, the real them, he understood that for them to be who he needed them to be, they had to spend time with him. To be with Him. Now I understand that we can't be with Jesus in the same capacity the disciples were. We can't sit at a table and share a meal with with Him like Scripture illustrates the disciples in multiple times. We can't go walking from town to town beside Him and listen to His lectures and His, and his sermons and His teachings and His lessons as we go. Uh, we can't go and physically hold Him. Or touch them. Or as, as Thomas did, put his put our fingers in the nail scars in his hand and, and thrust her hand in the in the wound in his side. We can't do those things. We can't be with him in that way, in that capacity. We can't do that. But that does not mean that we still can't experience being with him. Their time with Jesus may look very different from what's portrayed in Scripture, but it is nonetheless just as important to us following Him. Our time spent with Jesus really now looks like looks like prayer and talking to Him as often as you can. Scripture tells us this. We understand the Bible says in one place it says that to pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing. Now, now the, the bad thing that has come about in our society, our church culture and everything, is that we've come to the point where all, almost... Prayer has become a religious ritual. That's what it's become, a religious ritual. Humdrum, monotonous, lifeless prayer. And I'm not trying to be condescending in any way, but we've all sat in services where somebody get up, gets up to pray, and it don't feel like they're trying to talk to God with all. They're just saying what we know to say. Maybe that's how your morning prayer Starts, you know, to say thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning, and I pray you help us have a good day, and all these things. No, I'm not saying God doesn't hear that, and God doesn't respect that, but that's not the effectiveness and the fullness of what God desires prayer to be. That God instituted prayer as a way for us to put ourselves in His presence, to be with Him, to know Him, to get closer to Him. And we ultimately limit how effective prayer is by how we approach prayer in general. When you think about your prayer, your prayer life, maybe in your quiet time, maybe going to and fro from work, maybe when you're here at church, whatever it is, wherever it is that you pray, when you think about it, how do you view prayer? How do you view it? If somebody asked you what prayer was, if somebody asked you how important prayer was to you, if somebody asked you what prayer did for you, what would your answers to those questions be? Because ultimately what we see in Scripture is that prayer was meant to be a communal thing that we shared with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but that we shared with Christ. It was a time that we could come in and be intimate with God, that we could be personal with God, that we could... Be with Him. 
that we could be with Him. I think too often we say, well, I can't walk with Jesus like the disciples did, and I can't talk to Jesus like the disciples did, and I can't learn from Jesus like the disciples did, so I just can't be as effective as the disciples were. But that's not the truth. That is not the truth. We can be personal and intimate and understand and know and experience the presence of God just as strongly as the disciples did. But we must take our prayer life seriously. We must take that personal, intimate time that we get with God seriously, not just to slack it off as just another religious and righteous ritual that we do to fulfill some kind of requirement within the church or within being a good Christian, but something that we do because we understand it is beneficial for us. That it gives us access to something that we cannot experience through hardly any other realm, especially things that the world offers. So if we want to be with Him then we must begin to view prayer differently. He says pray without ceasing, not because He wants you just to spend all your time with your head bowed and your eyes closed saying nice things and sending up requests and pleas to Christ. He's saying pray without ceasing because He understands this is how you get with me. This is how you know me. This is how you get closer to me. This is how we can interact in this world. This is how you can spend time in my presence without anybody else around you, without any kind of music or anything going on. This is how you can be with me. He says, so pray without ceasing so you can be with me as often as possible. As often as possible. So yes, we may not, on this earth, walk with Christ. We may not get to sit down with Him. We may not get to sit at His feet and learn from Him like the disciples did and Mary did and all these things. But we can still be with Him. And as followers of Christ, that should be one of our desires. That should be one of the aspects that we build our life around is being with Him. But just as important is becoming like Christ. See, following Jesus was always meant to be transformative all right i grew up saturday morning cartoons my favorite thing we didn't have tv at the house um we had a thing called sky angel for a while um i don't know if any of y'all know what that is um it was what the good christians watched because bad christians got cable (laughs) that's how i was raised um sky angel veggie tale dvd stuff like that majority of the stuff on Skyhunter was Catholic Mass and stuff. And I was like, we'd just be flipping through it and there would be... And I was like, that's not what I want to um, But sometimes, especially in the summer, Friday night, when I got a little older and wasn't scared to do it, I would get to go stay with my nanny. Um, and she had cable. But she was still a good Christian. Um, and wake up on Saturday morning, and you'd flip on, I don't know what it was, CW or... 40, I don't know what it was. But it had all Saturday morning. It was just cartoons. I'd get the sugary, sugary cereals and, and, and all kinds of good stuff. And, and i sit down and watch cartoons. And, and every Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! And, and Batman and all this stuff. And then there was usually the Transformers. Okay? If you do not know what Transformers are, then you probably haven't, a chi- haven't had a child or a grandchild in the past century. Um, but Transformers were cars that could transform into robots. Okay? I thought that was the coolest thing. Always one. Expensive little toys, though. Um... But they were transformers. They could transform. 
And just as they could and other things could transform, and we see it in life, we see the butterfly, the caterpillar go to the butterfly or to the moth or whatever it is, and we see transformations, the tadpole goes into the frog, and we see those in nature. We see transformations in people. Somebody goes through puberty, and they were buck-toothed and ugly, and then they come back after summer, and they're playing basketball, right? We see these transformations in the physical world, but we should have just as strong and as exciting transformations in our spiritual lives as well. Because, see, a relationship with God is meant to be transformative. It's meant to transform us, to change us, to to make us into something that we were not before. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I've said it before, and I'll continue to reiterate this. We will never completely be like Christ on this earth. Perfection is not attainable while we walk and talk on this realm for heaven. But see, that that shouldn't be our expectation or goal. That's what a lot of people get disillusioned with church. They think the church people are supposed to be perfect. Or they go to church and think, well, it's going to make me into a perfect person. And I'll never be tempted. I'll never have sin. That's not the truth. That's not the reality. That should not be your expectation or goal. Because if that's your expectation or goal, you will fail. You'll not reach that. You'll, you'll not reach that expectation. If you think that it's going to be perfect, that everything's going to be right, that everything's just going to fall into place, that things will be amazing and nothing's going to happen. You're still going to have problems. still going to have issues. We will not be perfect like Christ on this earth. But we can and we should desire to progressively become more transformed into the image and the likeness of Christ. So our desire shouldn't to be perfect, though one day we will. Our expectation or our goal shouldn't to do everything right because we can't hear, but one day we will when we get to heaven. But I think a good expectation or a good goal for us to have is more. To desire more. Not more possessions, not more power, but to be more like Christ. To be more like the man that he was as he walked upon this earth. To be more like the example that he set for us. And as we follow Jesus, we need to embrace his teachings in the life that he lived and strive to be more like Jesus in every area of our life. And once again, we, it's almost we get to this point in this mindset, well, if I can't do everything that I think I want to, then I'm not going to do anything. You ever been that way? You ever been that place? I don't know about you, but there's been some times the house has been such a wreck. Such a wreck. we got a child now, and you pick everything up, and you go to the bathroom, and you come back out, and there's more out than what was there before you picked it up. Right? It happens. It's reality. Stuff happens, you know. There's things get overwhelming, things begin to pile up, and it gets to a point sometimes where you just look at all of it and you're like, I don't even want to do anything because no matter what I do, it's not going to make it better. That's what it feels like. Something. If you if you don't understand this, praise the Lord, Hallelujah, thank you. I'm glad that God made somebody like you because I guess we need them all kinds, right? But I know for me, I don't get to that place. There comes to a point where sometimes I just look at it. Maybe it's school, maybe it's work, maybe it's something going on. You're like, I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. Whatever I do, it's not going to do enough. 
it won't get me to where I think I should be. And we, we give in to that sometimes. It, I can't be the Christian I think I should be right now. I won't be that next year. I won't be a good enough parent or a good enough, uh, good enough daughter or I won't be a good enough this or that, a spouse. I won't be a good enough Christian. So why should I even try? Why should I even try if I can't get to that, that place? That's why we must understand that our expectations shouldn't be a saint tomorrow. But we can be more like Christ tomorrow. I'm a, I'll never be Mother Teresa probably even. I'm not even reach that goal. She was a great woman it seems like. Everything I read about her, she seemed like a nice lady. Fed a lot of people, did a lot of good stuff. I can't, shouldn't have that expectation to be that within the coming year. But I have, can have the goal that, hey, a couple of weeks from now, a month from now, when we're done with this series or whatever it is, when school starts back by Christmas time, I want to be more like Christ. I want there to be certain aspects of my life that I emulate and model Him better than I do currently. I might not look exactly like Christ, but something's changing. And something's being affected. And something's being transformed. And that's what God desires for us, is to make those progressive steps of transformation, embracing the likeness that we should be of Him, and trying to pursue that a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow, and to be more like Christ. More is one of those things that doesn't have a set value, you know. A penny is more than a penny, or two pennies is more than a penny. A dollar is more than a penny, you know. More doesn't have to be a complete and total, everything's changed and you're completely ready for sainthood tomorrow. But it can mean that you're not doing that thing that you did yesterday and you're not doing that thing you did a month ago. And you're not falling for that, that, that temptation that you did three months ago. And you're reading more than you did last year. And you're talking to God more than you did last year. And you're being better and treating your family better than you did last year. You're more faithful than you were a couple months. You can be more like Christ. And that's pleasing to Him. To see His children become more like Him. He knows you won't get to all the greatness and... Because if we could have, why would Jesus need to have come? But he does know that you can do more. Growing up, my parents were pretty good about expectations, right? Um, they didn't always expect A's. But they would ask me questions. You probably heard the questions. Do you feel like this is the best you could have done? Or do you feel like you could have done better? And I think in our relationships with Christ, we should ask ourselves that question too. When we go through a season, or maybe we go through a failure, and we look at ourselves, and we got to be honest with ourselves. Did I do the best as I could? And I just need to work on getting better. Or did I kind of set my, did I settle for less than I know I'm capable of? And I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we just settle for less than God knows that we're capable of. Than God has seen us do before, and He's like, I know you can do more. And I know you can do better. You might not be perfect, and I don't expect you to be perfect, but I know that you can do more and be more like me. And he drives us and encourages us and pushes us to be more like him. And we need to, if we're followers of Christ, we need to focus on becoming more like Christ. Then finally, let's, let's talk about doing what, what Jesus did. Okay, pop quiz. Does anybody know what John chapter 14, verse 12 says? Don't look it up. You might know what John chapter 14, verse 12 is. 
see some thinking faces, and I see some faces that's like, I'm not even going to try, because I don't, I don't know. Okay, you want to read it? Maybe, okay. John 14, verse 12. Probably one of the most powerful verses in Scripture, and we, we don't even really take into account. This is Jesus speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works, read this with you, okay? All together, uh, we can do this. The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do. Because I go to my Father. Powerful. Scripture, right? We know what Jesus did. The Bible says the books of the world cannot contain all that he did. While he walked upon this earth. But just in what we get in the four Gospels, we know that he healed people of basically every handicap and disability that we really know of right now. Um, he's taken care of issues of blood. He's brought the dead to life. He's fed 5,000 multiple times. Done a lot of great things, right? The Scripture says... The works that I do, this is Jesus, the works that Jesus did, I want to say we, we will do also. That right there, if he would have ended that phrase and that statement right there, would be powerful. We like, we can do what Jesus did. And then it continues though, and greater works than these he will do. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't roll like that. But I'm going to get you to think in your mind. How many of you read this scripture and take it seriously? How many of you read this scripture and think, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I believe that. I, mean, I know, if I'm honest. Most part of my life, I read that and I'm like, really? Really? I can do what he did. And not only that, I can do greater. And I question it, and I doubt it. Because that's big stuff, right? That's big stuff. But here's what it's laid out in Scripture very clearly that Jesus says this. And if we're followers of Christ, we should seek to do what Jesus did. I'm not saying that every time we pray for Something to happen is going to happen. But I'm saying that how many times do our, does our doubt and does our belief or lack thereof hinder us from doing what it is that God desires for us to do? Hinder us from doing what it is that God did, that Christ did while walking on this earth. Following Jesus means following the example of his actions, too. See, Jesus asks and invites his followers to continue the work that he started of being the kingdom of God here on earth. To being the hands and feet, the representation of God to the world around us. And that's going to look different for all of us. I'm going to speak in a couple of weeks about giftings and abilities and talents. Lord willing, if we get there, that's what we'll, we'll speak on. And we all have different gifts and graces and abilities. I'm not saying that. The Bible doesn't talk about how every disciple 
healed, and not every disciple saw thousands get saved at a sermon. Not every disciple, you know, did certain things. They each had their own roles to fill. But how often do we really get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do what Jesus did today? There's a book, I think it's called In His Steps, I think, that I read um, going to school. I was homeschooled too, so we read uh, Christian literature. Um, I don't, I never read any of the other stuff that probably some of your kids did. Um, but In His Steps, and it kind of goes through this idea, kind of, you know, not historical, but doing a thought experiment of where the mentality of what would Jesus do came from. I think we've taken that phrase and it's kind of lost its its glimmer and wonder because we use it so much and we throw it around so lightly and and we really don't take this out. What would Jesus do seriously? And I'm not smart enough to to coin another phrase to, to fill its place, but we really should ask ourselves in situations, in our marriages, in how we raise our children, in how we interact with people at work, and in how we interact with people that we don't like, and people that have ill intent towards us, how we interact with people that don't have the same mentality as us, um, how we interact with sinners. We talked about that a little bit in our Sunday school and how that's difficult sometimes, interacting with people that, you know, are obviously living in sin, and we don't, you know, it's, it's hard to deal with that stuff. But we really need to come to a, a place where, where that's really our, our deciding factor. That's the thing that, that gives us the direction that we need is, is looking at the example of Jesus and really saying, how can I put that into action in my own mind? How can I model that in my own situation, in this current time, in this current season? How can I do what Jesus did today? How can I do the things that he did in this season of life? And that should be something that we take into account during the good and during the bad, when we're flying high, when we're down in the valley, when we're healthy and, and things are great, and when things are falling apart. We should really look at Scripture, look at the example that Christ has given, and saying, how can I be more like Jesus? How can I do what Jesus would do here in this situation? Here in this season, here at this crossroads, how can I do what he would do? And we understand from Scripture that, that doing what Jesus did isn't that crazy. Shouldn't be that nonsensical. You shouldn't, we shouldn't come to a season in our life where our marriage is bad and really think, well, it would be crazy to think of what Jesus would do in this situation. Because we can look at what Jesus would do in situations of relationships, right? We can look at how he treated and interact with his disciples. And whenever Judas betrayed him, how did he treat Judas? Look at those things, you know. Every area and aspect of our life, we can look at the example of Christ and learn something from it and apply it to how we live and the choices that we make. But how often do we fail to do that? How often as quote-unquote disciples and followers of Christ do we fail to follow his own example? We claim to be followers, but the whole idea of following means that we are going in the same direction he does, right? You can't follow somebody and be walking that way. 
I mean, that, that's, I'm not big on English language, but I don't think that's what follow means. Follow means that you're following them. You're going with them. So should not in every area of our life we look to follow his example and follow him. So how are you doing what Jesus did in your everyday life? I'm not specifically talking about working miracles. We've talked multiple times through different sermons that we have to start with the little. We talked about that not too long ago. We've got to start with the little. But I am saying, what areas and aspects of your life can you say, I do what Jesus would do. I try to do what Jesus would do in my workplace, or in my marriage, or with my children, in my church, in my community. If he was, if he was in my place, how would he live that out? And we should seek to do that. So in conclusion, I want to just break this example, okay? I'm going to deal with a new age thing, so some of the old people, you might not understand it exactly, so I'm going to try to simplify it so we're all on the same page, okay? We all know what social media is, right? That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I don't know. There's probably a bunch of them I don't even know. Um, I'm only on Facebook, I think. Um, but a lot of stuff. Social media. It's how we interact with the world now. Um, and on social media, you can follow people. And that's the correct term now, right? We have we have followers, especially Instagram and, and YouTube and, and these things. You have followers. Followers are people who, you know, for most of us, it's people that know you, right? It's people that you grew up with, maybe went to school with, you know, family, different things like that. Um, but there's some individuals in our society um, that have followers that, that they don't know because of, you know, they post things that certain people like, they do crazy stuff, they, you know, they do things and people follow them. There's some pastors that are highly influential, Stephen Furtick, um, uh, just some T.D. Jakes, you know, those, I don't know, not Billy Graham, probably not, uh, but a lot of pastors that have followers, right? Um, and sometimes you'll see these followers begin to take on certain aspects of the person they follow. Maybe they wear some of the same clothes. They're like, hey, I like what that person wears. I want to wear the same clothes. Maybe there are certain phrases that certain people use and they're, that they're following, and they'll be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I want to use that phrase in my life. I think it's cool to say that. Hairdos, you know, different things that they might do, movies they might watch, stuff like that. They'll tell you. But sometimes people who follow other people, they just like to see the content that they create. And they just like to see what's going on, to see what they'll do next, to keep up with. But see, as, as we claim to be followers of Christ, that kind of following should not be relegated to just simple regurgitation of religious phrases. Nor should it be just to sit back and see, well, let's see what happens in the church next. Or let's see what we're going to do today. But following Christ, living as a disciple and follower of Jesus, is our response to his love and forgiveness and acceptance of us. Michael Heiser writes, he says, Salvation is a gift given to us by God, whom we believe the gospel. It is undeserved. We understand that. Nevertheless, God offers it to us despite our sin and hostility towards Him. You might not understand that. You might say, I wasn't hostile towards God. When you were in sin, you were hostile towards the divine things of God 
and ultimately the gift of life that he has given us. We, are host- we have hostility towards the things of God. You can't be in the middle. You're either for God or you're against God. So if we're not saved and given our life to him, we are against him. We are hostile against him. Discipleship is something we do as a result of believing the gospel. We imitate Jesus to show our love for him and for God. And we need to look at how we follow Jesus. In those three aspects that we talked about, to help us effectively be followers and disciples of Christ, of, of being with Him, spending time in His presence, spending time with Him, like He asked us to do in Mark there, what He wanted to do with the disciples. And then we, we want to be more like Christ. Our mentality, our ideas, our thoughts, all these things should be more like Christ. Never, Like I said, never get to the pinnacle, but we can be more like Him. And that we should be doing what He did. In certain areas and aspects of our life, we should look at our life and be able to be honest with ourselves and say, yeah, not perfect, but I am trying to do what Jesus did and how I treat my family and how I treat strangers and how I treat the lost and and how I treat the hurting. I I am doing what Jesus did and how he, you know, took to church and how he interacted with these groups and and how he served and how he was obedient to his father. I, I am doing what Jesus did. And then greater things can come from that. But we need to have those three aspects. Our life should be ordained and encircled around trying to fulfill those three things. We're doing those three things. To be followers of Christ, to do those three things. And let God lead and God where we do where we go from there. But, but too many of us, oftentimes, we just skip those three. And say, well, we'll just try to be the best Christian we can be without even taking into account those three. But we see in Scripture how Christ modeled these three and how we should take those things seriously in our own lives as well. If we want to, if we truly want to be the followers and disciples of Christ that we can be. Not even that we want to be. But we can be. That we can be if we will follow Him in this way and in this aspect. So if you... um.